Hello everyone, welcome to the new Humanist Podcast. I'm Damien, this is episode 39, the fourth of part six. The topic for today is the problem with the Bible. I should have probably titled this the problem with our understanding of the Bible or scripture as it is known. Since, I mean, the Bible has many problems if one wants to look at it that way. I guess the the typical approach would be the take the new atheist route. Okay, that is to say one wants to identify problems with scripture. One way to do it would be to do what the new atheists did, which is to basically seek out weird passages in scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, particularly in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and of course Leviticus, and then basically point out to people, oh look, the Bible, here's something weird, here's something curious, here's something atrocious, here's something, well, disgusting. I mean, and in fact is, you actually can find stuff like that in the Bible. Bible, you do get all kinds of weird things. And this, of course, has been a, I won't say an age old argument, it's really a sort of a modern argument. That is to say, the Bible is the Word of God, the Bible is a holy book, the Bible is a spiritual text, the Bible is holy and special, etc., etc. But it has all these weird things, okay? And this problem has been well documented, I mean, especially since the dawn of the new atheist. Cabal. I mean, I'm not a big fan of these people, with the exception maybe of Christopher Agents, who was good in other ways. But, but at this point, has been driven very strongly by the likes of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. I mean, Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is fundamentally attack on scripture, notably on biblical literalism, right? Really the very, how can I say, very earthy characterization of God and the divine nature, okay? And in all fairness, I mean, the, many of their criticisms are quite valid uh, in terms of how we approach scripture, that is to say, if we approach scripture in the way that it's been laid out, that is to say, if you take the teachings verbatim and just interpret it and then draw moral and more dangerously doctrinal conclusions in accordance to it, then we're really setting ourselves up for trouble. But of course, there are ways past this, there are ways against uh, which we can, there are ways in which we can confront these arguments and nullify them. I think quite easily one chooses to approach it in a serious manner. Of course, Christian apologetics is not as strong as it ought to be, and nor, nor is understanding of scripture, which is what we're going to do today in this particular episode, is to understand where we are going wrong when it comes to our study of scripture, our approach towards scripture, right? our perception of this book in terms of its role, function, and utility in terms of our well-being, in terms of our approach to God, in terms of our efforts to understand who God is and his will and his plan, even though one can argue that that is what the Bible is there for. The Bible is there to tell us who God is, right? It's as simple as that. It's pretty straightforward. The Bible tells us, well, most things, or some would say everything, right, about what God wants us to do. And this, of course, uh, comes from whatever tradition that you are espousing. This is most notable in the Protestant tradition, I think. Well, I don't want to go into the Latin expressions, but basically the Bible as a sole authority, right, as opposed to religious magisteria or a papacy, right, or any institution. The Bible is significant has of course served a historical purpose, uh, certainly from a Protestant perspective, going back to the Lutheran Reformation, the problems with the Catholic Church, which, by the way, if you look at that whole situation, I mean, it could have turned out differently, right? Luther's objective was not necessarily to break the Church, well, not in half, but now in, into many pieces, but really to, to reform the Catholic leadership and, and change their approach to governance and leadership, but that didn't pan out and other things were already moving, and Luther himself had many issues when it comes to his own life, and you know, he wanted to you know, express, he had a own spiritual dynamic working within him, and that entailed him breaking and developing an old church, in fact, the development of scripture, right, as something that's accessible to the masses, uh, 
came as a result of the Protestant Reformation. I think German was probably the first language. I could be wrong in saying this. It was the first non-Latin version of, of scripture in its authorized form in terms of its whole whole scripture as it was translated and made accessible to the laity. A book that was made available, right? And of course, the Bible itself played a key role in many ways, not only when it comes to man's ability to understand God or God's mind, which I'll get into today, but really it was a democratizing force in its own right. People may not know this, but the Protestant Reformation was a key event in Western history and by extension world history. Because many of the things that took place in our history, and this is something I'll probably get into later as to why the Protestant Reformation is significant, but you can basically trace the events of the uh, Lutheran Reformation in Germany and how that led all the way to probably the American Revolution and even in the Concordat of Worms, the Rise of Nation States, the Westphalian Treaty, etc. There are sequence of events that connect back to this idea of, of the break between a Protestantism and a Roman Catholicism rise of Protestantism, right, apart from the Catholic faith, and then the centrality of Scripture, the centrality of the Bible, the centrality of its translation, and Luther himself played a key role. In fact, the German language as a unifying force emerged out of this. Yeah, that's a you know different story, but the point is, given this history, given this heritage, it's understandable why some people, in this case clearly Protestants, certain kinds of Protestants would alleviate the importance of Scripture, make it so significant and so important. And again, rightly so, but you know, there has to be a deeper criticism, there has to be a deeper critique of Scripture. And it might be difficult, I'm saying this from a Protestant perspective, it might be difficult to do so because if it's the sole authority is the Bible, then you're going to struggle and you have these people you know, who walk around with Scripture, the Bible in their hands. I mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the point is there's more to the Word of God, the more to the mind of God than just what's laid out in Scripture. And this is something I will get into today. So when it comes to Scripture, the problem with the Bible, right, the title of today's episode, it is not to say that the Bible is problematic. It is not to say the Bible is wrong or it is a fabrication. Let's get the main criticisms out of the way. Although there have been notable critics of Scripture, certainly the ones that I can remember. I think Thomas Paine mentioned this. I'm not sure if it's in Common Sense or The Rights of Man. Anyway, one of Thomas Paine's book, you know, he basically says, look, the, the Bible has many weird things going on. Like he mentions, I think, I think, I'm think i not sure who wrote this. It Was it Exodus, right? In Exodus, there's some passage, or Deuteronomy, I don't know. Basically, it's in the books of law, the story of Moses, where it says, please look this up, it, it describes Moses, right, who was a central character in Exodus and, and, and in Deuteronomy as well. Joshua takes lead after Moses. Anyway, in Exodus or Deuteronomy, and this is a point raised by Thomas Paine, where it says Moses was the most humble person in the world. He was the most humble in the eyes of God, right? Exodus was written by Moses, right? Apparently. Okay, now again, please look this up. Now, if that is the case, right? If someone had written a book, and in that they describe themselves as saying that he's the most humble person in the world, I mean, how would that go down, right? Would you describe yourself as be the most humble person in the world? That's kind of silly, right? So Thomas Paine is saying, look, this probably works against it. But okay, leave that aside. Let's not get into the whole debate about questioning the validity of Scripture, right? Is it serious? Is it credible? My concern here is that within the framework of Christianity, Within what the belief system is, what is Christianity in terms of its fundamental assertion? God created man, that God created the universe, that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God wants what is best for us, and that we are in a journey with God, that we are children of God. Okay, And one that I've argued in the course of this podcast is that the question of human well-being in the here and now has to be central to the religious uh, function. There cannot be postponing, right? It's sort of the kicking the can down the line, if that's the expression, of something good will happen in the future or in the life hereafter. That is not good enough. Now, this is not to say this is not significant, but if the question of human well-being is central, that means it, it has to be central to 
God's word, or more pertinently, my understanding of Christianity, and this is something we're going to get into going forward, is that if Christianity is meant to be a belief system that is humanistic in its character, and I believe it is, because it's not fully understood in that sense, that means we need to re-learn or approach Christianity in a way that helps us make sense of it in light of this truth, okay, that God wants what is best for us in the here and now. And since that is not the case, since the world as it is today does not seem to lend a hand towards that outcome, does not seem to work in a way that is conducive to the question of human betterment, okay, the project to make life better, right, which is an urge that is operative within the minds of human beings at an individual level and at the collective, okay, whether we like it or not. Of course, the way we hammer this out, the way the mechanics of it works out, that's where a lot of the problems uh, take place. But fundamentally, any part of the world, whether it's, you know, Europe or the Middle East or Africa or whatever, any part of the world or Asia, anything, people want to make their lives better, <laughs> okay? Heck, even criminals want to make their life better. Why do criminals do what they do? Because they want to profit from their works. It's not ethical. It's not legal. But they do it because they have a certain end in mind. Heck, I was just playing the GTA 4. Came out a while ago. And in GTA 4, you know, the story's about a bunch of crooks, right? You know, these organized villains, basically, who, you know, do everything. You know, they're drug dealers, they're murderers, they're harvesting organs, all kinds of things. But these people, as wicked as they are, they're all trying to make it. They're all trying to build a life. Now, this is central to the question of human well-being. It is the question of human well-being. But it's pertinent to the religious question, or more pertinently, the religious question in terms of its approach towards God, approach towards man, and the idea of grace and blessing and salvation and redemption, all these great concepts that we speak of within the, within the Christian framework. These things have to have an impact or relevance to the question of human well-being. Now, when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to our study of Scripture, when it comes to our approach towards Scripture, right, Bible, this may not seem apparent. This may not seem clear-cut. This may not seem as the most significant aim, right? I mean, to put this in perspective, Christianity, whenever someone talks about God, right? I mean, let's take the most obvious example. Let's just say you're someone living in a Western country, right? And you're all in one of those places where you have these people, right? These Christian missionaries, right? I mean, you find them everywhere, really. Oh, maybe not in the Islamic world. Who come to your home and say, hey, we are here to give you the good news, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. And usually they have a Bible in their hands. And in fact, this is now even more common, even amongst Catholics, right? I know Catholic missionaries, I used to anyway. They also follow this practice, okay? Now, think of yourself in that situation. What do you think these people are going to talk to you about? Right? Some guy comes knocking on your door saying, look, I'm here to give you the good news about Jesus. Invariably, the concern of the person in question, right? That is the preacher who is you know, trying to come into your house and give you the good news. He's trying to what? What is he trying to do? He's trying to, unless he's some kind of, you know, it's in a certain exception, that person is trying to save your soul, okay? It's very unlikely that they're concerned about your material or psychological or maybe they do, or your existential concern. You know, that goes without saying. Now, of course, a lot of Christian missionaries I know, again, I used to know, they help people, right? A lot of charities and so on. But you know, deep down, they're doing all of this so they can get to your faith, they can get to your spiritual dimension. They want to access that part of your life and, and sort of work their way into it. Then be able to sort of move you in the direction towards God, or essentially, which means religiosity. And they say God, what is it meant by God? Functionally, what it comes down to is basically leading a religious life. So following God, serving God, believing in God, worshipping God, oh, that's pretty obvious, is about being religious. And so that you can sort of be drawn into their religious orbit and then live that kind of life. Now, the problem is this. Why is this? Why is their concern so 
much about life hereafter. And that in turn, okay, interestingly enough, connects with the broader disenchantment that people have when it comes to not scripture per se, but with Christianity as a whole. One of the reasons why Christianity has not taken off in the West is because of this very reason. Christianity as a belief system is not accessible. It doesn't seem pertinent here. Right? It doesn't seem relevant to our day-to-day -day concerns. And going back to the question about afterlife, you know, what is it to me? Yeah, sure, you know, don't do bad things, do good things, and God will send you to heaven. Now, why is this kind of thinking so prominent? Okay, one of the key reasons comes down to our understanding of Scripture. Okay, so in order to elucidate this, you need to understand what the Bible is. Okay, I mean, of course, I can't explain the whole thing here, but basically the Bible, okay, in the Christian framework, helps us understand the mind of God. Bible is the, what? The Word of God. If someone reads a reading, this is a passage or a verse from the Old Testament or even the New Testament, as long as it's not the Gospels, the four Gospels, it's the Word of God. And if it's the Gospels, it is the Gospel, right, of the Lord, I think. So the point is that everything that is in Scripture is essentially corresponding to the mind of God. Yes, and that even includes the weird and messy things that you find in Leviticus, right? Now, we know that there are problems with Scripture. We know there are weird things in the Old Testament. We know there are weird things in the New Testament, right? That's an even bigger problem, actually, which is something for a later time. The point here is this. With all this going on, don't you think that we need to be very careful in how we approach this book? And that is not oftentimes. In fact, it's not forthcoming most of the time. In fact, when it comes to the study of Scripture, I would argue that we had to be extremely careful, extremely diligent and extremely circumspect and humble when we read anything from Scripture, any passage. It is not something to be cited and spoken about or spoken of loosely, which is unfortunately what's happening these days, right? The most obvious case, of course, is the typical Bible thumper example that there are these people who just, you know, cite Scripture that they talk very loosely and I think irresponsibly, right? God is this and God is that. The Bible said this because the Bible said that, hence that and hence this. A very... I mean, one could argue more broadly, if you look at this from a historical perspective, one could say this is humanity's attempt to understand the mind of God by studying scripture. You can say that, but again, even if that is the case, as it means we are learning about God over, well, now millennia, right, over a thousand years now since the Bible came out. That is true, as a learning species, we are learning about God, but there has to be a greater degree of intellectual sophistication in how we approach it at every time. Okay, there cannot be a moment where we just speak about the Bible, X, Y, Z, and then be done with it, no. There has to be a degree of circumspection, right? There has to be a degree of reservation in how we approach it. And that is a starting point. Now, since that's not the case, right? And I know it's not the case because of what has transpired. What Christianity has become in today, in many respects, partly, or in many ways, fundamentally a consequence of our poor approach to Scripture. The Word of God. Okay, if the Bible is the Word of God, brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful in how we approach this. And the way to do so, Critically, the way we should go about understanding the Word of God in a way that's constructive, in a way that's empowering and useful okay, to our lives, that's a starting point. And before we get to the whole question about eternity and redemption and salvation, now you think about it, there's a reason why these things come up immediately. There's a reason why people, when they talk about God, when they talk about Scripture, when they talk about the Bible, when they talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, immediately the narrative right, shifts to, to the great questions, the ultimate questions, right, to the the eschatological aspects of Christianity about life hereafter, about afterlife, okay, about eternity, about eternal reward. Why does that happen? Okay, why? Well, one of the reasons is the mechanics of faith, its practical dimension, its efficacy when it comes to our own lives, are not fully understood. Okay, 
People are not invested the time when it comes to understanding scripture. Instead, they adopt a very loose, very irresponsible. It's a broad brush approach to the study of scripture. And I'll tell you why that is by looking at three main problems. But before I get to the main problems, let me make one more point when it comes to our problematic approach to scripture. And that is, is that the Bible, if it's the word of God, which I think it is in a certain sense, at least if you look at it from a Christian perspective or from the perspective of someone who affirms the religious heritage that Christianity has given us, which is you know Western culture in some respects, is that the Bible is inadequate. It is just a starting point at best. The Bible is the word of God, but it doesn't tell us everything about who God is. Okay, the most obvious example, I guess, it goes back to the what is this? The start of the scientific revolution, right? The Great Galileo Galilee trial. I mean, I don't want to get into that here. That's a huge subject. It probably requires a dedicated episode. It probably does. But the whole idea of two books, the book of God's word and the book of God's works, right? the book of God's word, the Bible, it tells us about God's mind, his vision, his worldview, so to speak, his plan for the world, his judgments, right, his view of human life, and so on, and what he wants us to do, right? the moral, the doctrinal aspects of it. The book of God's works, which is creation, right, that, that exemplifies God's power, right, his manifestation of his will. That is good. But... That alone is not sufficient. The study of nature and the study of God's mind ideally need to work together. Okay, that is really the foundational aspect of this argument, and that has not happened. Okay, that has not happened consistently, continuously, right, in a consistently improving way. That's really one of the issues that really underlies the problem with Scripture. But when it comes to our concern, as a starting point, the problem with Scripture, in terms of our understanding of Scripture, comes down to three main things. I will broadly outline them here, starting with. Point number one, the Bible is not the only source of God's revelation to man. Point number two, the Bible is not a scientific text, clearly, but nor is it a theologically adequate one. Point number three, the Bible is at best a guidebook, not a rule book. Right, so this point is pretty clear. The first one, right, the Bible is not the only source of revelation. I've already given you the reason, right, the book of God's word and the book of God's works, okay? God creates the universe, right? So clearly God is going to speak to us through creation. But he also speaks to us by text that is meant to represent his mind. Of course, you and I can debate this, uh, well, forever, really, as to how accurate the Bible is in capturing the mind of God. Because the Bible, after all, and this is a valid criticism for Christianity, but all religions, really, is that it is not written by God, right? The Bible, or the Torah, for that matter, or the Quran, right? Or any of these religious texts, was not written by the hand of God. It was written by men. They were inspired by God to write. And again, I mean, you can dismiss that as a secularist, as an atheist, but it is something that we have to consider. And for this particular debate, I am considering, I am taking it seriously, right? That Christianity, you know, I guess to a great extent, Islam and Judaism are all, you know, fundamentally valid. Of course, Christianity, the Old Testament is fundamentally Jewish, so there's no problems there. But the point being, without getting into the secular debate about whether it's true or not, we can affirm them fundamentally. But... The point remains that this is not adequate, okay? You cannot live your life based on what the Bible says. I mean, that goes without saying. Or rather, you cannot formulate your understanding of God purely based on what Scripture is telling you. The Bible is not adequate. Even when it comes to explicating the Word of God, what God wants to do, it is still not sufficient. Obviously, the Bible is just a book. It might be a big book. I think I've read the whole thing. I think I have, yeah. But the point being, the Bible, it's not enough, Okay, and no amount of study and explication, this is something that's happening in, in parts of the United States where the people are really delving into the scripture. Like, that's fine, but we have to study the material world. We have to study the real world. We have to study the world of relationships. 
of data, of the interaction between various factors and particles and, and ideas, right? I mean, we have to study this world and understand it in a new light, in a way that affirms, affirms a transcendental basis for reality. Okay, so the idea here is that we need to affirm the importance of the material world and also be open to transcendental possibilities and vice versa. Okay, when that does not happen, and it doesn't happen in conjunction, in unity with one another, that's when we have issues. So this is a problem point one. Point number two, the Bible is not theologically adequate. You know, what do I mean by this? Well, basically, the subject of theology is essentially the science of God, right? It's our approach to understanding God in a more systematic way, in a way that can be grounded. Maybe not empirically, but at least rationally, right? At least argumentatively, it sounds cohesive. It sounds, well, cognizable. If someone says, you know, God created the world, like, you know, okay, so what does that mean, right? But if someone says God created the world, means it has some kind of purpose, right? It has some kind of meaning, right? It presupposes a teleological character of life in terms of how it unfolds, okay? That means life, you know, is moving towards a certain destination, okay? In a sense, if one works an argument back logically, right, to its origins, and one could say, hey, look, it seems purposive because it is purposive. I mean, there is something directing the whole process. Whether it's a firm hand saying, okay, this is where things are going to be, and that is to say, for example, did God intend for us to become human beings in the way we are, or maybe he had something else in mind, you know, or all the same thing for the galaxy and the universe, or did these things just sort of unfold when the initial parameters were set? And then God sort of, again, within a Christian framework, sort of became part of this experiment, and he himself sort of integrating himself into it. I mean, there are many ways we can look at this. I don't want to get into that here, but the point remains, when it comes to our understanding of God, the Bible is not adequate, okay, clearly. The Bible doesn't tell us who God is. The Bible, at, at best, when it comes to God, is a guide, okay? And this goes, goes back to point three, which I'll get into, but let me just say on the question of theology. The study of God requires a lot of effort. It requires a study of nature. It requires a study of nature in relation to scripture. And in fact, this is the area of, I think, natural theology, right? Where people try to apply Christian framework in understanding the nature of reality and draw conclusions. Of course, people might criticize that some people are against that idea and so on. But the point remains that this is something we have to look at in a more comprehensive light. We cannot look at scripture for what it is and say, oh, look, the Bible says, you know, God created the world in six days, hence it's true, and let's be done with it. No, we need to study the world. We need to study. But critically, when it comes to God, we need to study God in relation to these things. Okay, so for example, why did God create the world in six days, right? And if he did, what was the purpose, right? Why did God create man in the way he did? Why didn't he create Adam and Eve together? Why did Eve come later? The question here when it comes to God is that what does it tell us about God? Okay, it's not a question about the nature of reality. It's not a question about life. But we need to ask the question in reverse. Right? Point the finger back to God himself. Say, what are you? Who are you? Why are you doing these things? I mean, the most obvious example is the question of evil, okay? If God is all-powerful, then why is there evil? More pertinently, if there is evil in this world, okay, now think about this for a second, right? Why is God there? What is God, more pertinently, right? Because in Christianity, God is good, God is love, God, you know, cares about us, etc., etc. But there's evil, okay? And of course, people say that sin, sin is because of man's disobedience. But again, then another question, okay, then why is there sin? Why is there disobedience? Why did God permit this to happen? Or why did God have a way to mitigate these realities? Who couldn't God foresee these eventualities, okay? Again, the question goes back to God. And these questions cannot be answered within a scripture. You cannot come to the Bible and say, oh, the Bible says. Maybe the Bible does have an answer. The Bible itself is eternal in its message, although it's not timeless. I think a theologian made this distinction between the Bible being eternal in its message, but not timeless. The message of the Bible can change. It's it's not the same thing. So someone reading the Bible 2,000 years ago would gain certain kind of interpretation. 
someone reading the Bible today would have a different kind of insight. Someone reading the Bible 20,000 years into the future, right? You know, now in a revelation space territory, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys have read it, but a book by Alistair Reynolds. I like Alistair Reynolds, good science fiction writer from Wales. I like his books. Okay, a bit of science fiction now. Last week it was Dan Simmons. Now we are with uh, Alistair Reynolds. But point is, the Bible is a guidebook when it comes to understanding who God is. But the Bible is not sufficient. We need to study the world. And by studying the world, we are able to study scripture. And that in turn helps us have a better understanding of who God is. So when someone says God loves us, God cares about us, well, I don't know. We need to ask ourselves the question, what does that even mean? Okay, for example, the Bible, what is the biblical story, right? What is the central narrative in scripture? God loves us. So God sends his son to die for us, who comes into this world, he lives, he preaches, then he dies, and he's taken up into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the Christian story of redemption. But what does that even tell us? Okay, what does that even tell us about God? What does it tell us about life, about nature, reality? Take the most obvious criticism of Christianity, right? God loves us and he sends his son to die for us. As the Bible says, the world has not changed. The world is a bloody place as it was. You know, the worst atrocities in human history took place in the 20th century, right? In, the more, in a very systematic way. It's so much carnage. The indifference was, was unbelievable. God. I mean, back in the day, people do bad things. But now there was a certain science to, to man's evil and man's capacity for evil. Why? How? What does it tell us? What does it tell us about God? What does it make us think about God? Deeper questions. The Bible in and of itself is not going to answer that question. It makes us look deeper, go further, maybe into scripture itself, but it requires a study of the real world, a study of the natural world, and in line with that, it's to ask questions about God and his nature. Final point, the Bible is a guidebook, not a rule book. Now, this problem is, well, how do I say this? I mean, let's, let's go back to the new atheists, right? Because these are my favorite, I don't know, whipping boys. I mean, I just don't like those people, really. They were good for a time. You know, there's something sophomoric about them. It's like you're a teenager, you know, you don't like somebody and you want to read something about them. And so it sort of makes you feel good, right? Because you, you know, reading something about people you don't like, even though you don't really know them. And in fact, there's been some regression actually in, in this regard, even within the, say, the Catholic world, which is not historically been really Bible-centric. But now there's more emphasis on Scripture. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a wrong thing, because we need to understand the Word of God, no question. But there's this tendency now, oh, the Bible said this, oh, the Bible said that, right? Hence, we're going to live our life as per the dictates of Scripture, okay? Now, the problem with the Bible, and this is pretty obvious on the face, is that the Bible is not systematic in its presentation, okay? Even from a theological perspective, it's not systematic. It's not about systematic theology, right? It doesn't tell us one story flowing from one to the other. I mean, to give one example, the Bible is not very coherent in its presentation of events, okay? It's not very chronologically serious. I mean, for example, the fall of man where Adam's rebellion, right, were eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil with Eve, and they've been, they've been kicked out of Eden, that takes place at the start of Scripture. Okay, that's, you know, the first story, right, after creation. But then, fall of Satan, or Satan's rebellion against God, who was the tempter. Presumably, Satan was the one who was there in the Garden of Eden as, as a serpent, right? That's the argument, right? But that takes place at the end, right? That takes place in the book of Revelations, if I'm not mistaken, right? I'm not mistaken, that, that is where it happens. So, Satan's rebellion against God, right? I was just listening to the song, what is it, Star? If someone looked this up, what is it, Star, the Fallen Star? I don't know. Star, right? Which is the song, a song in, uh, how do you pronounce it? Les Miserables, right? That's the French word, right? And it's a song, right, sung by one of the characters about how Satan fell, right, from his glorious position. Right? Lucifer is the bringer of light. That's his uh, name. That's what the name implies. And uh, Lucifer rebels against God and he's thrown out of heaven, right? And he and his angels 
Now, the problem with that is that that happens in the book of Revelation, right? That, that even takes place at the end, and but it's supposed to have happened before the fall of man, because that's why Satan is able to tend to Adam. Anyway, my point is, the Bible has many of these issues, right? I mean, you can go deeper into it. It is not very clear in, in terms of how these events uh, play out, and that's something uh, that raises some questions, okay? When it comes to morals, now clearly the Bible is really messed up. And this is again going back to the new atheist critique of scripture. No one in their right mind would say, I'm going to live my life in accordance to what scripture is saying. And I think I've spoken about this before. You know, the Old Testament has some weird things, man, really. I mean, pretty disgusting things. And you would even think of it's like for everything from, you know, say a woman wants to defend her husband in a fight, right? You know, her hand should be cut off. She tries to grab the other guy by his. Well, you know what? You know, that's kind of silly, right? I mean, if you, you know, if you're in a, let's put this in a, in a if you're a man, you want to protect your person you're with, you do something to protect them, right? The genders are reversed, but the point remains, right? It's kind of silly. I guess it's a rule of, of having a fair fight. All right. Other things like the worst one I think I've seen is where women are compelled to marry their rapists, right? I think there's a, somewhere in Deuteronomy or Numbers where if you're a woman, right, and you get raped, right, and but you're a virgin, the guy's lucky. You'll have to marry him or he'll have to marry you and you'll be stuck with him for life. He cannot divorce you, right? You cannot divorce him. Whatever. Talk about living hell. And that's by law, folks. And think about this. If it's in the Bible and if it's law sanctioned by the authorities of Israel at the time, that means God himself has sanctioned. And we have other things like, you know, exterminating your enemies, taking off slaves, including sex slaves, wiping out populations, not sparing anything or anyone. I think the Agag, was it, was it some guy in Samuel where I think Saul was commanded by God to go and kill this Amalekite or Amalekite, I don't know how you pronounce these people. God commands Saul to destroy everything, including the animals and, I don't know, maybe the women and children as well. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't kill the animals or whatever. And uh, God gets mad and he rejects Saul for it. It's kind of weird, but these are the sort of things you get in Scripture. No one in their right mind would say, oh, look, the Bible is a rule book when it comes to living your life. Now, this is the thing. The argument is this. Oh, it's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is different. But the New Testament is equally problematic, brothers and sisters. I don't want to get into it now, but the New Testament has some really weird things. Let's take one example. The teachings of Christ himself sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Really? I don't know who made this. I think it was Hegel who said this, that if, if all the rich people in the world sold everything and gave it to the poor, that means all the rich people will become poor and all the poor people will become rich. Not necessarily, but you can see where, where this is headed. That's a pretty pertinent argument, is it not? As if you just give up everything you have and then God will put you in heaven so you can be happy there. That doesn't make sense. That's not very persuasive. But again, my point is, listener, there are ways around it. There are ways to engage these criticisms. There are ways to engage these problems these seemingly intellectual moral in the case of Paul of satan chronological inconsistencies clearly there are problems when it comes to how scripture is understood or how we are supposed to understand it we don't really have the tools it seems to me or the right methods to go about it or we think we do but we don't we need to develop them so the bible is not complete with all these issues again the bible in that sense given these problems given these inconsistencies given these inadequacies i mean take for example the life of jesus christ okay you know jesus christ loves us and he cares about us and does everything but you know he doesn't really you know he dies for us and he rises again but again what does it accomplish not enough isn't it i mean you know you can argue well i mean again i don't want to question christianity and undermine its validity but my point is that there are questions that that emerge naturally okay i mean saint paul for example saint paul i think i mentioned uh, he is the most dominant figure in the new testament and hence the whole of scripture whole of christianity is really a product of the mind of saint Paul, it is his conceptualization, his reading, I mean, read any theologian of the 20th century, they all have to grapple with St. Paul, because he's such an overwhelming figure, okay? So, does that mean that Christianity is St. Paul's creation? Because it's his conceptualization, is it not? And that's a problem, okay? Because St. Paul has many 
issues, right? I mean, one party condones slavery. He says being a slave is okay, you know? There are a lot of problems out there, and even his condemnation, right? Broad brush condemnation, morality, right? Everyone is going to hell. Paul St. Paul, if you're a fornicator, or an adulterer, or a drunkard, or a thief, everyone, everyone. So, again, I don't want to get too specific in this, but the point I'm getting at here, when it comes to scripture, listener, especially when it comes to Christianity, it's different in Islam, it's different in Judaism. These are what you call religions of the book. They're called people of the book. Christians are, are not like that. You know, Christianity, interestingly enough, listener, it's not a biblical religion. I know this is difficult for Protestants to stomach, but it is a point that has to be made. We're not a religion that's built on what the Bible says. The Bible is a guide. It can tell us. It can show us the way, but it is not sufficient. It's not adequate. Why? Because it has weird things going on. I mean, again, I don't want to attack Christianity. I'm trying to balance this carefully. I can't really go on a rampage, uh, eating into all these uh, troubled spots. Really, the Bible is not complete. Okay, it's not adequate. It is not sufficient. It is just a starting point. It is a guidebook, not a rule book. The Bible cannot tell us how to deal with nuclear weapons proliferation. It cannot tell us how to deal with human trafficking. It cannot tell us how to make decisions on cloning or on artificial intelligence. It is essentially adrift when it comes to these serious issues of life. And we have to ask ourselves, what does that even mean for the Word of God? How do we approach it? Then it goes back to point one and two. The Bible is not complete. It is not a complete revelation of God's mind. It may be, right, for the record, I don't know, maybe a deeper, fuller understanding of Scripture would reveal this. I think Christian evangelists and theologians do make this point. The Bible, you can keep reading, you'll gain new insights, and that's true. But that is still not good enough. It compels us to be very careful in how we approach this subject. We can't have these loose-talking, morally irresponsible people. These are Bible thumpers, right? These people from, I think, mainly from the United States. Not everyone, it has to be said, but there's this tendency to, to approach it very literally and without any sophistication. We can't have that, okay? The other point is the Bible is not theologically adequate, meaning we have to approach God, study God, we have to think about, we have to reflect on God, and we have to go beyond Scripture. We need to study other literature, right? other sciences, other theologies for that. I don't want to get into this topic here, but there's some debate within certain theological circles that the Bible is too centered on Israel, it's too Israel-centric, and that Christianity is a belief system. It's too, again, I have to be careful because I don't want to say anything critical of other religions, but we have to see this from an evolutionary standpoint. Essentially, that's what I'm getting at here. Yeah, this is something for a later time, but Christianity is an evolutionary belief system. So the Bible and our understanding of Scripture needs to evolve. All right, folks, this is the New Humanist Podcast. This is episode 39, the fourth of part six, and see you guys next time.